following was recorded live as part of homeschool.com's 2005 homeschooling teleconference. To order additional recordings, visit www.homeschool.com or send an email to orders at homeschool.com. So thank you. We're going to go straight into our next interview here. Um, I'm very honored to have Diana Johnson with us this morning. Diana began homeschooling the first of her five children in 1983. 22 years later, she and her husband John are still homeschooling at home with their youngest two children beginning 7th and 10th grade this fall. Uh, the needs of her homeschool customers at the bookstore she works for, called the Scroll Christian Bookstore, and her own homeschool experience have led to the publication of three books. Uh, the Starting Point, which is a short guide for new homeschoolers. Home Designed High School provides comprehensive and user-friendly help for planning a high school program for your homeschool team. And her most recent book is When Homeschooling Gets Tough, which is an encouragement for parents who feel inadequate and stressed with their homeschool adventure. So thank you very much for being with us this morning, Diana. Oh, you're welcome, Rebecca. So as much as we'd like to think that there are never any tough days uh, with homeschooling, of course there are. With any endeavor, there are ups and downs. So today we're going to talk about uh, what are some of the common homeschooling mistakes and how to avoid them. So uh, callers, you're going to want to take notes on this because this tends to strike when you get a little tired during Christmas time, uh, January. Uh, there just seems to be cycles for this. When you get a little tired and stressed out and you feel like things aren't working as well as you'd envision now when you're all pumped up from listening to 32 hours of inspirational interviews. And so go ahead and take notes, and then we'll open up the call at the end so that you can speak with Diana yourself. So, uh, Diana, what led you to write a book on the difficulties of homeschooling? You've been doing it for 22 years. It's obviously working really well for you. What made you think that a book on the difficulties of it would be valued? Primarily, it was because of my interaction with homeschool moms at the bookstores. There have been many, many times that we have stood together, cried together, because moms are overwhelmed with feelings of inadequacy and failure. And then the other reason is, too, even though I've been homeschooling a long time, I have my moments, too. Those have never gone away when I don't feel adequate. And the book was really a way of reminding me of what was true, even when my feelings were denying that. What are some of the key reasons we struggle with homeschooling? Well, I hope we'll have enough time, but there's four areas I really would like us to look at. The first would be comparing ourselves with others, um, then also unrealistic homeschool plans, controlling our commitments, our scheduling, and then last but certainly not least, difficult children. And that's true. We do know that our children are born with personalities of their own, and oftentimes we raise our children exactly the same way, and they, they're completely different. <laughs> that's right. Well, let's talk about um, comparing ourselves, because you're right. We hear about the the spelling bee winners and Christopher Paolini who's you know wrote his bestseller at 16 and and maybe we feel a little inadequate right well and I think comparisons are really one of the main reasons we tend to struggle the key is learning to be content and there's several things we need to learn to be content with one would be ourselves and our particular style of homeschooling and then our husbands and their involvement level in our homeschools and, of course, our children again and their accomplishments. If we can learn to be content in those areas, we're going to find that our homeschooling will be a whole lot more enjoyable for us. 
Do you think that a lot of moms are dissatisfied with the jobs they're doing? Uh, undoubtedly. Really? Not <laughs> just problem. in our insecure moments? Oh, yes. And when mom's not happy, it causes trouble for everybody else in the family, which we all well know. We set the tone for things. We create the atmosphere. There's that saying that if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Well, that's especially true when we homeschool because mom and kids are in each other's space all day long. Thank you. And I, I was dropped off the line there for a moment, Diana. Okay. Do you, um, how do we overcome our dissatisfaction with ourselves? Uh, there's several ways. One, I think we really need to take time to figure out who we are and then, again, who we are not. We need to learn to appreciate ourselves, embrace our uniqueness, the uniqueness of our family, and not despise it, which we so tend to do. Again, we're back to avoiding the comparisons. We have to be mentally cautious when we talk to other moms, when we read magazines, when we read homeschool books, when we listen to interviews like the interviews today that have been going on the last few weeks. You're going to hear a lot of great ideas. You have heard a lot of great ideas, but you can't try to apply them all. We can't try to fit into a mold that isn't who we are. You have to listen, keep what's helpful, and discard the rest. One of the reasons we struggle is because we we come up with these nebulous homeschool dreams that we patch together from everybody else's homeschool experience. We won't have even fallen down on the job. We just have this vision of what it should be that isn't even realistic. Um, I went a couple weeks ago to a seminar for Texas Special Kids, which is for homeschoolers homeschooling children with special needs. And one of the things that they talked about is um, when we have struggles, which I thought was excellent, they said, don't use those struggles to become better, not bitter. And I think that's a very important uh, thing for all of us as homeschoolers to be thinking about whether we have special needs children or not. So besides being content with ourselves and who we are, we also need to accept our husband's role in our homeschooling. Uh, do you talk to a lot of homeschool moms who are dissatisfied with their husband's involvement in their homeschool? You know, not a lot of loud griping, but I think there's a lot of moms out there that are unsure of what their husband's role should be. Do you have any advice for moms who are struggling with their husband's level of involvement in their homeschool? Well, I'm riding the same seesaw here, but again, don't compare. One of the places we do tend to compare is at bookstore, uh, book fair homeschool book fair conventions, um, radio interview or t uh, phone interviews like this type of thing. And in those kind of situations, we're listening to dads who are professionals. They That's what they do for a living. That's their livelihood. They're in homeschooling. And we tend to listen to some of these speakers sometime and think, oh, I wish my husband did that. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> but, you know, that's life as normal for them. It's not life as normal for us. You know, my husband and probably the husbands of most of our uh, callers, their primary contribution to our homeschooling is the fact that they're breadwinner, that they provide us the opportunity to be home with our kids. And usually their involvement is not real hands-on. They don't have time for that. And that has to be okay. We need to learn that that is okay. Now, there needs to be grace for Dad and what he has to do and then grace for us and what we have to do. Now, some dads are inclined to teach, 
and that's great when they are. But I would caution moms to not just give daddy the cast-off subject, the one you don't want to teach. Give him something that he'll enjoy. Let him participate in choosing the curriculum so that it's a good experience for those involved, and hopefully he'll want to repeat it. You also mentioned our need to be content with our children. What are your thoughts on this topic? Well, our discontent seems to kind of focus in three different areas. You know, again, here we're back again, unhealthy comparisons. You're going to know about every public, private, homeschooled student, every cousin, every neighbor, grandma's best friends, grandkids. You know, you're just you're going to have a lot to choose from to compare your kiddos with, and you need to be careful that you're not playing that game. Um, secondly, we tend to have unrealistic expectations just because we're homeschooling our kids. I remember a friend of mine talking to a homeschool mom who just automatically assumed that her child would be a National Merit Scholar just because they homeschooled. Um, I don't know if any of you are familiar with the uh, Garrison Keeler Prairie Home Companion radio show. It comes from Minnesota. Sure. It's been on the radio for, oh, I'm sure it's been 20 years anyway. But he makes the comment in his opening statements when he's talking about Lake Wobegon, where his fictional town is. He talks about in Lake Wobegon, all the children are above average. And that's what we like to think about homeschoolers. You know, hey, my kids, everybody, you know, we're all going to be above average. And that's not true. A lot of us homeschool, myself included, because we have some learning problems in the children in our family. So um, we, we need to watch our unrealistic expectations. And the last thing I want to mention in that area is we also have a tendency as homeschoolers to over-direct our children's futures. You know, most mamas and daddies are cutting the apron strings, starting to anyway, when they walk their child to the door of their kindergarten classroom. Well, that's not us. You know, we watch walk those kids through elementary, junior high, high school. Nowadays, we can even take them through college if we're so inclined. So sometimes it can become very hard for us to let go. And my caution would be we need to support our children's dreams but not dream them for them. Well, that's beautifully put. Uh, any last thoughts on learning contentment with our situation? Um, I think it's real important that we don't try to build our self-esteem by disparaging the, accomplishment, the accomplishments of others. I do think there's, um, and probably it's because we're feeling insecure, but sometimes we as homeschoolers have a tendency to disparage the public school, and I don't think that's wise. I have a good friend who's a public school counselor. My nieces and nephews have been through public schools, and some of those kids are shining stars, and we don't want to undervalue. We don't want to promote ourselves by undervaluing others. The other thing I'd mention, too, I think it's real important that as a homeschool mom, we form a strong relationship with at least one, maybe a couple friends, people who really love you, really love your kids, the kind of people that you can count on for support, for comfort, and probably just as important for honest advice. And when you can find that kind of a relationship, it's priceless and it can take you through a lot of difficulties. It's nice also to have a, a group of other homeschoolers that you can turn to as well. On oh, homeschool.com, we have a list of the local homeschooling support groups across the country, and that's available at www.homeschool.com support. And it's a pull-down menu where you put in the name of your state, 
and then you can find the support groups in your area. And that's that's really a nice resource, too. Very much, because they're walking the same road that you're walking. Now, un- unrealistic homeschool planning is the next area of struggle that you mentioned. So what leads us to be unrealistic in our planning? I think we all like to kind of play Don Quixote. You know, we're out on a mission, out on a quest. Only our quest is to find the perfect homeschool curriculum. And this is my rule of thumb. The best curriculum is what actually gets done. Um, curriculum is a three-way mesh. You have to look at the personality of the book and different publishers and their material vary greatly from one another. You need to look at the strengths of your students um, and, their, and their strengths and their needs, whether they're visual, auditory, um, do better with hands-on type material. But then you also need to consider the strengths and needs of the parent who's the teacher. You have to look at the preparation time involved, um, what their skills are in any given subject, and then you also need to look at cost, which is going to be a variable for most of us. Then you take those different areas and you've got to mesh them together in the best fit that you can get. It's not going to be like a puzzle where all the pieces fit exactly, but you have to get the best fit you can, and that fit's going to be different for everybody. What are some mistakes we make in choosing curriculum? Well, I think some of it is not evaluating curriculum curriculum carefully enough, just rushing in. Um, we just want the decision made, so sometimes we move too quickly. And we do that sometimes by just picking up what our best friend who homeschools is raving about, or you listen to a speaker who's very persuasive, really knows their material, and you think, ah, that's the one. And, you know, what? this makes me laugh, but I, I can't tell you how many times I've been to a book fair and I'm talking to a stranger in the aisle, and we'll have an animated discussion about something, and I'll walk away thinking, hey, maybe that's a good idea, <laughs> and I don't even know the person. So we, we have to be real careful that we're not rushing into things. At homeschool.com, too, we advise people and parents to kind of give, get a feel for their children's interests and learning styles before they purchase curriculum. And we interviewed uh, Mary Emma Willis uh, yesterday, one of the top learning styles experts in the country, and she said that she would uh, do some group consulting for us where she would help evaluate our children's learning style and, and personalities and interests so that we can, you know, do that before we purchase any, any curriculum. So parents who are interested in that, you can send me an email to Rebecca, R-E-B-E-C-C-A, at homeschool.com, and I'll uh, give you Mary Emma's information on that. So um, we're talking about curriculum. In changing curriculums, what are some things we should think about? I help a lot of moms at the bookstore because um, I run the homeschool department there who are not happy with what they're currently using. And one of the first things I like to make sure that if they make a change, are they sure that it's going to be an improvement? Sometimes we want to make changes just because we're unhappy, but we don't stop to think why we're unhappy. And the, the more you can pinpoint why something is not working and the more you know about the curriculum you're moving to, the better chance you have that you'll make an improvement in what you're using. Um, the other thing, too, is I caution people that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Sometimes we want to change just for the sake of change. And I'm not saying that that's wrong because sometimes a change can really be a, a breath of fresh air and kind of lift everybody's feelings and attitudes about things. But you also have to be careful, and, and I think especially of math, 
because math has a sequence to it, but every publisher can move at a little bit different speed. And if you move from one publisher to another without really investigating them carefully, you can either create gaps, and you definitely don't want gaps in math. They'll come back to haunt you. Or you can um, have an overlap there that keeps a child just spinning their wheels when they could be moving on to something else. And one of the things that I have always done and found very helpful is my husband helps me make my decisions. We have been married now. Um, we just had our 28th anniversary. Um, and one thing, you know, that your, your husband, and I really encourage you to think about this, your husband has been studying you for a long, long time. He knows all about you, all about your personality. He knows whether you're overambitious and you're going to drive the kids crazy if you do everything that you're wanting to do with them. He also knows if you tend to lay back and be a little bit um, too lackadaisical in things. Maybe you know one of your kids is a grumbler, so you don't push him too hard because you don't want to listen to it. And dads can be real helpful in helping us measure ourselves. Each year, my husband and I sit down and I talk. In fact, I had to go down to Houston last weekend, and the whole trip down to Houston was spent talking about whether I was going to change math curriculums for one of my children. It was a major decision for me because of what I just cautioned about math. And he listens to me. He asks me questions. And then he helped me make my decision. He'll Plus, also even saying it out loud can be so beneficial, too, because you can oh, yeah. hear yourself go through the thinking process. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Now, in your book, When Homeschooling Gets Tough, you talk about homeschool basics and bonuses. Uh, can you explain what you mean by that? The basics to me are just what you have to teach. You know, it's, it's those things that are going to pop up on achievement tests, on the Stanford uh, College or the SAT college entrance test. It's things kids have to know. It's what's in the national uh, math teacher standards, that kind of thing. But the bonuses are what we have to celebrate our uniqueness as a family and as individuals. And bonus can be, bonuses can be either academic, um, for taking history, for example. Some people will do history just by reading the textbook, discussion, answering the questions, moving on. But some people will join a history co-op, go to reenactments, read historical fiction, do projects. That's an academic bonus. You also have um, activity bonuses. If you have a family that's very sports-minded, that may be their activity bonus. In our house, we're more musically inclined. And, music, and piano lessons and those type of things, going to um, musical theater, opera, that's just a, a activity bonus in our particular house. The difference is we all need the basics, but the bonuses will be different for each family. Well, in your book, you also uh, talk about the role of creativity and flexibility. What are your thoughts on these topics? But when it comes to creativity, we tend to feel that if we're not creative in every subject, somehow we're a second-class homeschooler. And I would like to encourage you to not think that way and to realize that you do not need to reinvent the wheel in every subject. A lot of study, a lot of effort has gone into planning curriculum by these publishers, and if you want to use it, you go right ahead. And then also, when you do want to use your creativity, put those energies where it will bear the most fruit. Most people do not have unlimited creativity, so 
put it or energy so you put it where it's going to be the most helpful to you and your children but what about flexibility well flexibility is one of the greatest blessings of homeschooling we have so much freedom we've got freedom in the books we choose in the hours we school whether we do it year-round at our house we generally take the whole month of december off it's really a very precious commodity and it's not available to other forms of schooling but because it is precious we need to treat it that way we need to use it carefully and use it wisely we shouldn't be flexible anytime we don't feel like doing school and to me the rule is this flexibility should enhance our homeschooling not excuse us from homeschooling or detract from it exactly now one of the chapters in your book talks about controlling our commitments what advice do you have to offer well people tend to overcommit for different reasons some people overcommit because they're just too nice they don't know how to say no some overcommit because they're perfectionists that's more where i fall i think um, I feel most competent when I'm juggling a lot. I just like when I see how much I can handle without skipping a beat, and I keep putting more and more balls in the air, which is really not very smart. And then some people overcommit just because they're optimistic. They love life, they love doing things, and they just want to do it all. What we need to realize is we cannot do everything equally well, not in all of our areas of different areas of life and nor in all the different subjects and areas of homeschooling. We have to make priorities, and if we don't make priorities, then the urgent takes over, and something that's really precious is going to be missed or shortchanged. And with that, I want to give an example because this is really close to my heart. A lot of homeschoolers tend to rush academics with their little guys, and I would encourage you, if you, you have a two-, three-, four-year-old, don't be quick to rush them into books. You've got some very precious moments with those little ones. Time spent in a rocking chair, time spent um, wandering out in the yard, reading books, laying down for a nap together. Don't don't miss those things. They're too precious. And once they're gone, they're not going to come back. But we've got plenty of time for academics. You don't want to exchange what's best for what's merely good. You know, sometimes as homeschool moms, uh, we get so busy in doing, 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 doing. Uh, Any thoughts on how to slow the pace? I think the key to this, and and truly this is something I really struggle with because I tend to be very project-oriented. I just love having a list and checking everything off that's done. And the key to me is learning how to stress relationships instead of activities. And some of you are probably going to be guilty of this. I'm very guilty of this. You know, I'll be cooking dinner, and one of the children will come in and have a question for me. And I won't skip a beat. I'll keep cutting my carrots or peeling my potatoes or whatever I'm doing, and I'll be, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, oh, yeah, and I'll never look at them. And my husband's a, a minister, and one thing he is excellent at is that eye contact you know, patting somebody's shoulder, putting your hand on somebody's arm, that personal contact, the eye contact that tells somebody that they're special. And we can't forget that we need to take the time from our busy lives to communicate to our spouses and to our our friends and especially to those homeschool kids that they're very special to us. That's excellent advice. Our lives can be so full of activities. Any suggestions on how to come up with a workable schedule? 
I think I've already revealed that I'm a perfectionist here. And I very much believe in using lists and charts and calendars to help you organize your life. I know that everybody is not a list person, but everybody needs some way, some way that feels natural and right to them to help juggle their life. And if there's anybody who needs to juggle life, it's homeschool moms. Well, through your years of homeschooling, what have been your favorite organizational tools? Um, I'm not real big on purchasing organizational tools primarily because when I look at them, I tend to not find ones that meet me where I'm living. So I have grown very good, and I encourage all homeschool moms to do this if they're trying to lessen their workload. Get very adept at using the tables function of your word processing program. Um, I use that all the time so that I can customize things for my family's needs. What is the tables function? Uh, it's it's just where you, um, you know, you plug in. It's to make a graph. So you plug in how many boxes you want across and how many boxes down, and then you can customize the size of them, and I use that for making all my scheduling. Ah, and so that way you're creating your own um, daytime. Right, right. Uh, what types of things do you organize? Well, with uh, when my ch- children were little, and none of mine qualify for that anymore. My youngest is 12 now. But I used to organize life skills. You know, get when you get up, you make your bed, you brush your teeth, you brush your hair, you take the dog out, anything that was their job. I used to put all that on a checklist. And then um, in addition to that, um, which is where my emphasis is more now as the kids have gotten older, I customize my lesson plans. You know, the one thing that I don't care for purchase lesson plans is you've got all those empty boxes and you've got to fill in your subjects. I get tired of doing that. I don't want to do that. So by customizing it, I've got those boxes already filled in with what subject it is. I only have to put that day's assignment. And I also put them in the order of what we're doing things so that if something comes up and I get sidetracked, then my kids know a basic order in which we normally do things. And depending on the diligence of the child, and, you know, I can say that from experience with mine, one of them will use it, as, use it as an excuse to stop if mom's busy, and the other one will go straight down their line and keep on going if I get sidetracked. Uh, the other thing that I do is I also have a basic weekly calendar that I keep on the refrigerator, and that also is in a basic order of day, and I highlight on that everything that takes me out of the house. That helps me make sure, you know, I try to glance at it in the morning so that I'm sure, oh, yes, I need to put my makeup on today because I've got to go such and such a place today. Um, and it's amazing. It really amazes me. We, My kids have been in the same slot for piano lessons for probably three years. You know, another their ballet lesson for one of my children has been in the same slot for five years. And yet I can forget it if the day before life gets out of sync somehow. So that, that makes us basic schedule helps that not happen. My my rule of thumb as to what organizational tools I need in my life is if I'm talking too much, I'm not organized enough. So if you're reminding the kids of their chores over and over and over again, it means it's time to make up a a chart, a table for it, and put it on the refrigerator. And I don't know how you are, Rebecca, but I get very tired of hearing myself talk. And I imagine I, our children must get tired of hearing us <laughs> and the same things over and over again, too. I don't think there's any question there. 
What about um, curriculum choices? Can they also be a factor in how well we can juggle our homeschool? Exactly. Very, very much so. Um, I did want to mention a book called The Myth of Excellence. Um, this is actually a business book, but what they do in this book is talking about how a business should rise to the top and be excellent. Um, I think it's written by Fred Crawford, I believe is his name. Anyway, what they do is they look at the major important areas in business and they say, okay, you decide, is this area a five for you? Is it, is it an area of excellence, something that sets your business apart? What about the fours? You know, they're going to be excellent but not have all the bells and whistles of a five. And then your threes are what's acceptable, not real special, but acceptable. And then the ones and twos are the ones you don't talk about. It's what you've shoved in the corner of the closet and you're not doing. It's the dust bunnies under the bed type of thing. Well, we can use that same application in our homeschooling. We're going to have areas of excellence, and we need to put our time, choose the curriculum that allows us to be excellent in the areas where our kids are going to be excellent. Maybe it's an area of a future career goal for them. But it is perfectly acceptable in areas where they are not strength, strong to remediate it. You want it to be at least average. You don't want it to be a one or a two. But be happy to not put the time and effort into making it a five, particularly if it does not have significance for their future. I also um, like to um, vary the types of material I use for different subjects. I like to use uh, subjects that either I really enjoy or that my kids are very strong in or, conversely, things that my children are very weak in. Sometimes I'll spend more time in those subjects and more use a more elaborate program or something I've pulled together because I enjoy it. But in other areas, especially if you're juggling more than one child, you need to be willing to use something that's wind them up and let them go. I also like to use something I call academic vitamins. There's a lot of uh, things that they just have to know. They're multiplication facts, that type of thing. I look for ways that I can teach that very efficiently. And if I can teach some of those things that don't excite us, that have to be done efficiently, then that gives me more time for our academic bonuses that we enjoy. Well, these are excellent suggestions. Uh, any other ideas on time management? Uh, just one thing. I know there's a lot of people that um, would, you know, maybe in listening to, to me might feel, oh, I'm overscheduling, I'm too rigid. But having a homeschool schedule really is not a form of bondage. What it does, it frees us up so that we can efficient, efficiently do what we have to do and then frees us up to have creativity and flexibility in the other areas that we really enjoy. Well, I guess we've saved the hardest topic for last now, um, dealing with difficult children. Any thoughts for our listeners today? Oh. <laughs> well, one of the things I think we need to think about is um, for the past 20 years, there has been a real effort made by a lot of people to present homeschooling in the best light possible, and we've had to do that. We've been fighting legislation. You know, we were back. We were homeschooling back at the 80s when we were fighting major battles to um, maintain our rights to homeschool. And because of that, we became very, um, very good at public relations. 
So when there's a homeschool child who's done something truly exceptional, we make sure it's in the limelight. We may, you know, if it went, like you mentioned at the beginning of the interview, those kids that win the National Geography or Spelling Bee, boy, we make sure people know about that. Kids that are accomplished musicians at a young age, and we have one homeschool boy in our community who has played, who soloed with the symphony orchestra here in town. Excellent musician, and he's homeschooled. We want people to know that part too. Um, homeschool kids that get perfect SAT scores for college entrance. You know, and then we've got our kids that are politically active, that are very gracious, the real go-getters in life. Well, we put our PR efforts into getting that information out, you know, into the newspapers, into the courtrooms where the battles have been fought, in school board meetings, very definitely in grandma and grandpa's or our mother-in-law's living room. And then also over the back fence when we talk to our neighbors who wonder why our kids are having recess at a time when other kids are in school. We really have done a great job at that. And I'm not in any way saying that we shouldn't do that. It's very important that because it's what has built our acceptability as an educational alternative. But there's a problem. And the problem is we tend to feel that these remarkable stories that we hear about these homeschool kids should be true about our children on a daily day, day-to-day basis. And when they're not, we feel like we failed. In other words, you think that everybody else's child is really exceptional. I must have the only regular kids on the planet. <laughs> that, that's exactly right. And, of course, they probably are, you know, they are exceptional in so many ways. But because we work with them on a daily basis, maybe we don't even recognize it either. Yeah, you know, it's not no, a big deal, but true. we're used to, you know, you're, you're used to your daughter excelling in music and ballet. You're like, oh, you know, not a big deal. She's been doing it for years. And right. some other parent may look at you and say, wow, I wish my kid could do that. Right, and we also don't stop to think that these kids that excel in one area are probably uneven. You know, that may be their, like, my, I do have a daughter who's quite good musically, and she's has other areas that are not her thing and will never be her thing. So it's just human nature for us to be strong in some things and weaker in others, but we tend to see these shining visions ahead of us of some of these, you know, children that are in the limelight, and we get the feeling that they're walking on gold when actually they're probably living a very normal life also. And reminding our children that everyone has their gifts, and the point is to use your gifts to the fullest. That's exactly right. And they're all different, and we shouldn't try to mimic the gifts of others. That's right, or to compete or to compare, even brothers and sisters with each other or with their friends or with anyone else. Right, and that can be a a tough thing. I know I had a mom I was helping yesterday choose math. She had two in the same grade level, and my first question was, are they competitive? How do you feel about putting them in two different programs? To just allow kids to be themselves and, you know, not have them feel the need to be constantly compared to someone else. Now, I recognize there's some kids that thrive on competition, but there are many, many kids who don't. Now, homeschooling parents do have some unique pressures. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, Very much so. And what happens with us is the buck stops with us in a lot of areas. For other parents, when Johnny doesn't behave himself, when, you know, he can blame the, the, the parent can blame those kids at school that aren't a good influence. Or when his grades aren't good, you can say, well, it's that teacher he got for fourth grade. I know it. It was a mistake from the beginning. But we don't have those excuses. That's right. Darn it. 
Yeah. <laughs> we can't blame it on other people because we've taken on the responsibility ourselves. That's right. That's right. I wish there are many times I wish we could. So what comfort can you offer a homeschool mom who is struggling with their children? Well, I'd like to give a few pieces of advice. First of all, we really do need to learn not to forget all that homeschool PR, you know, that we hear all the time. It's, um, it's not where we live. It's not where we live at all. We need to not expect the impossible from ourselves. We should not expect it from our children. You know, it's, it's real easy to think because of all the homeschool literature that's out there, and I know I've, I've read plenty of it and I've written some of it, that um, it's real easy to think that we can homeschool the, promise, the problems of life away. You know, if, if our child has a problem that if we bring them home, that we can solve it all. And sometimes we can solve a lot by bringing the child home. We have, we have five children, and our oldest three are hearing impaired, um, which you're probably not aware of, Rebecca. They're, they're not deaf, but they are at a disadvantage in the classroom. And that was actually our initial catalyst for bringing the kids home. Well, it solved some problems doing that. It meant that they weren't at a disadvantage in a large classroom. It meant that um, I could attend personally to their cl- their schoolwork, and they wouldn't lose things because of the translation from a teacher at the front of the room back to their desk. But it didn't mean that every problem went away. And we we need to not think that because we're homeschooling our kids that we have this bubble that will insulate them from all the cares and problems of life. My, my own son has macular degeneration, which is an, a vision disease. Okay. And you're yeah, right, by being homeschooled, you know, he doesn't have to see the blackboard. It's not a big deal. But now he's older, he's getting ready to take junior college classes, so we have to right. kind of teach them these coping skills. Right, and it's scary when you bring one home because there's problems. When they do go away to college, there are issues there that have to be dealt with for the first time. And all homeschool kids, even if they don't have additional needs it's, it's a scary time but the reason um, we don't get away from problems by bringing our kids home is that problems aren't just around us problems are in us too whether it's the vision problems of your son the hearing problems of our kids or maybe it's just a bad attitude a rebellious spirit um, a shyness that makes it hard to relate to other people those things don't go away. Sometimes they're improved because we have more controls. We can control more of the variables around them. But the problems don't go away. We, when we choose to bring our kids home to school, some of those problems come home with them. So if we're thinking, if we're struggling because we think they're going to go away, then we have a false expectations there, a false expectation there. Uh, another thing... In fact, in fact, I just wanted to repeat that you're so right. Because I, I once heard um, Mother Teresa say, uh, run to something, not away from something. Very because when you point. run away from something, you just take it with you. So well, decide, and, just instead, decide what it is that you want and then run right. to that. And, and I run into that, um, no pun intended there, <laughs> um, up at the bookstore. You know, it, it's really interesting about... Um, Six weeks into the school year, when the first report cards come out, there'll be a rash of people taking their kids out of school, sometimes for very good reasons, and you know it's a mom who really cares, and it just took a few more weeks in a situation she wasn't happy with to finalize her decision. 
But sometimes it's people that are running away, like you said. They're unhappy with the situation, but they haven't chosen homeschooling because they see it as the right option for them. You know, there are people that get into homeschooling because their back is up against the wall. It's not what they would have chosen, but they love their children dearly. They see it as the answer, and some of these moms will do an excellent job with their kids. But we don't want to just choose to homeschool because we're running away from things, which unfortunately some people do do. Well, I couldn't agree more. Do you mind, uh, Diana, if we open up the um, call and take some questions? Yeah, I'd be glad to. I did have two other points I wanted to make. Do you want me to make those now? Or yes, after? now, please. It's so good. Okay. All right. Um, then another comment I want to make because of something I think that we often struggle with is we shouldn't expect perfection from our kids to begin with. We really need to be sure that we are very balanced in our expectations. Um, we need to have we need to have high standards. I really do believe in high standards for academics and behavior, but it needs to be reasonable. And uh, in addition to that, we need to have a lot of grace for each other. We need to have grace for our kids when they fail, and they will, and for ourselves when we fail, fail because we will for sure. <laughs> I think we can all testify to that. And then the last thing I want to mention, and this is really for parents um, who have older children. You know, we've homeschooled long enough that I have homeschooled parents who are done with their job. The only reason we're really still homeschooling is because we have these two little cabooses that we're still um, actively homeschooling. But a lot of my original homeschool friends are finished, and there are still problems. Homeschooling did not take all the problems away. There have been um, crisis pregnancies. There have been drug problems. The point is we cannot control our children. When they're young, we have a lot of control over the choice of friends, the situations they're exposed to. But what we do wrong is we tend to think that we have more control than we really do. We cannot control our children's individuality, their temperaments, the inward choices that they make. And as they get older and their social interactions expand and we don't know all their friends, we, we're going to have less input in their outward choices. So at some point, you've got to cut those apron strings. You've got to pass the baton. And you have to say it is their choice what they do with what we have given them. And we can hope that they'll make the right choices, and we can pray that they'll make the right choices. And I think most kids do make the right choices. But ultimately, it's their their decision, not ours. So uh, we've been speaking with callers. We've been speaking with Diana Johnson. Uh, her website address is homedesignedschooling.com, H-O-M-E-D-E-S-I-G-N-E-D, S-C-H-O-O-L-I-N-G dot com. Um, uh, can you tell us again the name of your uh, books and the resources you have on your website? Oh, okay. Um, the first is just a little booklet called The Starting Point. Uh, a lot of bookstores that have homeschool departments use that as sort of a how-to-begin-homeschooling um, seminar in a nutshell. The um, larger book that I have, which is actually a couple hundred pages, is Home Designed High School, and that one is written as a way of walking you, you as a parent through all the ins and outs of high school. I found that one to be very, school. very helpful. I'm sorry? I found that book to be very helpful. Oh, you have it? The team. Yes. 
Yeah, especially, Good. you know, the forms and, and if you're talking about college, you're talking about how to organize the studies, because homeschooling a teen can be pretty intimidating in the beginning, and I found your uh, book to be very comforting and very informative. Good. Thank you, Rebecca. And then, of course, the topic for today, when homeschooling gets tough. So in a way, I look at the high school book is more, you know, what I've learned through the years through working with my own kids. It's more of my head knowledge. But when homeschooling gets tough is where my heart is. And they can order that at homedesignedschooling.com. Yes. Uh-huh. It, well, actually, um, what you can do is it will show you places where you can get it. Okay. And, and it'll you can actually click from there onto different distributors that have it. Well, that's excellent. Are you available to take any email questions? Yeah, they, they're welcome to. And is that at homeschoolattheschool.org? That's probably the best place to get me. In fact, the bookstore I work at has my books, so it's a real easy way to get them out to people if they want to do it that way. And that's H-O-M-E-S-C-H-O-O-L at the scroll, C-R-O-L-L dot org. That's correct. Well, thank you very much, Diana. Let's open it up, and uh, think, I think we have time for maybe one question. Okay. And then at least for everyone to say uh, hello to you as well. Okay. So callers, any questions for Diana Johnson talking about common homeschooling mistakes, how to avoid them, and also about when homeschooling gets tough? That's the sign, Diana, of the calls coming down. Okay. Yes, first question, please. You press a star six to come out of mute mode to ask your question. There's a lot Hello? of people. Yes, there we go. There's a lot of people on the call. And sometimes it takes a while to come back down. Yes, we can hear you. Go ahead. Uh, okay, hi. Yes, I'm going to be homeschooling for my first time, and I'm starting off with a freshman in high school, a seventh grader, and a third grader. Um, and I'm going to buy your high school book. <laughs> my question is: Is what do you do when the newness wears off? I mean, right now they're all like, "Yeah, mom's going to teach us. This is going to be great." My husband. Is like they're just going to think it's an extended vacation. But what do you do when the newness wears off and they realize, oh, wait, this is for real. Now we want to go back right. to school because mom's making us work. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think one of the things is to, from the beginning, recognize and make sure they recognize that the newness will wear off. Will wear off. I think sometimes um, we don't realize that. So I think that's the first thing right there. But I think also you want to be sure that you're stressing the benefits of homeschooling, the freedoms to be flexible and creative, make sure that you're not so locked to the books that you don't give them the perks that are unique to homeschooling, you know, taking a day off sometimes to do a special field trip. One of the perks we had was my husband traveled, and when the kids were younger, we used to travel with him and field trip it while he was stuck in meetings we would explore that town. So try to find ways of helping them see that there are special, yeah, it's hard work, and the hard work's not going to go away. And sometimes it's harder because you have to be quite sick at our house to not school. You know, when you're in the school system, you don't have to be that sick to stay home. But um, make sure you're doing enough special things that they see that this is worth the adventure. Well, excellent advice. So callers, once again, we've been speaking with Diana Johnson with homedesignschooling.com or .org? That's a .com. .com. Thank yeah. you. 
And coming up next, we're going to be talking with Howard Berg. Uh, speaking of high school, his topic is how to complete high school in half the time. And Howard certainly knows about speed. Uh, he is the Guinness Book of World Records holder for speed reading. He's going to be talking about uh, tips and techniques for speed reading, uh, speed math, speed writing, and in general, uh, college admissions, uh, in, even though you can finish high school in half the time. So, college, we're going to take a 10-minute break, and we'll come back up at the top of the hour for our next guest. And before, um, before we take that break, if you would join me, unmute your phone, star six to unmute so that we can say goodbye and thank you to Diana. Thank you. Thank you so much, Diana. That was very helpful. Rebecca, is there any chance I can ask one question? Yes. What suggestions do you have for a single parent who is teaching three children? Oh, my gosh. That's a good question. Um, I think, one, I would pray a lot, and two, find excellent support. Find some moms that you can share responsibilities with, that you can bounce ideas off of. You, you need you need support, support from somewhere, and I would diligently seek it out. Does that answer your question? Thank you. You're welcome. And you're not alone. There are a lot of single parents out there. More and more all the time. Yes. Well, thank you, everyone. So we're here. We'll take a break for 10 minutes, and then we'll come back at the top of the hour with Howard Berg. <laughs> 